watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here, Here comes, comes the binge. binge. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I am Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Larte, and today we're going to take a look at three movies. Rough Night, The Women's Balcony, and The Book of Henry. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life's too short for that mess. Indeed. Jason, it has been a minute. It has. We've taken a few weeks away from our new release episodes. The last time we talked was when we did our Pride episode, Mm -hmm. which, now that I listened to it, was a totally different vibe. I feel like we come in here Thursday, hot, fired up. Ready to go. And then on Sunday, it was like so we were, chill. We were very chill. We were very, very chill. chill. And, I was like, who are these people? And there Where's was, that podcast? The response to it has been very positive. And we, yeah. we were so appreciative for all the great feedback you guys have given us. Definitely. Although it does counter to what we think the show should be. Yeah. So apparently it's time for a letdown. Yeah. <laughs> We're always we're always like okay like keep it short keep it punchy keep it funny keep it current go and, go and you, go and I make you do high knees when we're and recording. You guys are like do like more eighty minute long episodes where you're kind of like chill and just kind of talking about the past and like our feelings and our feelings and getting personal and you know and like we just want to give you guys what you want uh, so uh, so we definitely will be looking for more opportunities to do those kinds of themed episodes mm-hmm. I was thinking but with less feelings <laughs> more feelings from me and less from Becca mm-hmm. I think is the direction we're gonna go I think so. But um, I was actually thinking it would be a really funny, this would probably be a great podcast on its own, and it possibly even exists already, but a podcast where you go back and you rewatch movies from the 90s, and you're mm. just like, how does it hold up? Yeah, I know there's the How Did, how did This Get Made podcast, which yes, is like, which specifically is, targets bad movies. Yes. Um, so but this I think wouldn't there... be bad movies. This would be like movies that, kind of like what we were talking about in our Pride episode, movies that you remember loving, mm-hmm. um, and then you go back and rewatch, and you're like, huh. Uh, Man, youth. Yeah. Youthful perspective is so... Didn't notice that then. Usually it's like, I didn't notice how kind of racist or misogynist it was. Yes, That's the thing that comes back. It does come up a lot. I actually wonder if any of the movies we picked for the Pride episode, in retrospect, would have been. I'm sure not not if these walls could talk to. No, no problems with that um, one. But I don't know about Bound, and which we I mean, we did look at uh, some of the things about those movies, and you uh, mm-hmm. uh, were upset that we didn't mention Christopher Maloney. Yes, yeah, we, we we missed a couple of things to talk about with those films. Uh, a beautiful, full-haired young Christopher mm. Maloney uh, is also in Bound, which I feel like I did a disservice to the gay community by not mentioning mm-hmm. that in a Pride episode. Before he was all weathered after looking at all those sex crimes. Before, and also before Oz. Mm, uh, yeah, yeah. A show that launched a thousand boners. <laughs> a minute, am I right? I thought that's what you wanted to call this podcast. <laughs> yeah, but then I was like, that's not the energy we're really putting out mm, there when we're together. No matter so how hard we try. We, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we've, we've worked up a sweat, but no dice. But there was that. And there was also an unexpected connection between one of my films and one of Rebecca's films. So it turns oh, out right. that the Sichel sisters, Alex and Sylvia, who made All Over Me, also wrote the 1972 chapter in If These Walls Could Talk too, And I was kind of putting together uh, that, you know, from the interview with Michelle Williams, where she told me that they had had a director switch at the last minute, the credited director is Martha Coolidge, mm-hmm. um, who is uh, who made films like Rambling Rose. And it made me wonder if maybe they brought on the Sichel sisters to also direct that chapter. Mm. Uh, and then since they ultimately, you know, didn't have so much experience that there were some sort of creative differences and that they were dropped. And that's why they, because everyone else both wrote and directed their chapter. 
Oh, Jane Anderson wrote and directed the first one. Anne Heche wrote and directed the third one. We could tell. You'd never guess that she wrote that too. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that wasn't that was a surprise connection we uh, we did not know about. And even listening to the show, I was like, oh god, I really should have like sat down and write my wrote my thoughts out about these before you just know diving what? in. Here's the thing: people don't like that apparently. No, they don't. They just want to shoot from the hip. I mean, listening to the opposite of sex, I was like, oh wait, I also love the opposite of sex because like I saw myself in Christina Ricci's character because she is coming from this this like podunk kind of town and she mm. just like thinks it's it's just trash and just wants to get out of it and i was like so i saw myself in her as she like blazes this trail of like witty barbs um into a new life of freedom and that was the future <laughs> i saw for myself you're almost there i'm getting there i'm getting um, there but uh but- i also realized that we, we did another sort of like um older movie episode which is when we did was it our horror movies oh, no it was the year the movies from the years we were mm-hmm. b- like born or something right yeah all I know is that Christina Ricci was also in Adam's Family Values, yes. which was your other. So all of your picks have had Christina Ricci in them, mm-hmm. at least one of the, one of the movies. When did I talk about Adam's Family Values? I'm, I'm trying, trying to remember. remember. Was it? It wasn't the year you were born, obviously. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I don't. Uh, I don't know was when. Was it I, your favorite uh, comedy holiday movies? Holiday movies, maybe, maybe. I think. Yeah, I think maybe that would be right because it's like you know a great Thanksgiving film, mm-hmm. or at least a cha- part of it is a great Thanksgiving mm-hmm. film, but. But yeah, no, I mean, she is, now I just need to find a way to bring up mermaids. And, and we're uh, done. And then, yeah, Shut it down. I can just check it all off the list and we move on with it. But so, uh, Rebecca, mm-hmm. what have yes. you been up to in the, I guess now it's been three full weeks since we last sat down and taped a new release episode. Well, I guess uh, you can probably notice I've gotten a haircut. <laughs> I can. That's a big Can a big you guys news. hear that? Um, I can move my head with so much uh, more ease. It's less wind resistance. I'm picking it up in my mic. Um, you're not picking it up in your mic, is it? Anyway, so uh, I went to LA for work, which was a lot of fun um, and very decadent and very um, uh, basically, you know, one of those like uh, week long benders that ends in an existential crisis. Many mozzarella sticks were consumed. There were a lot of mozzarella sticks eaten. Uh, I don't regret a one is good, the thing. Good. Life's too short. It is for that mess. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have I done? Um, we had the opportunity to meet um, a, a San Francisco film critic. A film critic of the world, Ingu mm-hmm. Kang. Mm-hmm. Um, that was very exciting. Yes, yes, that was because she is the uh, chief TV critic at MTV News, mm-hmm. and uh, is a is a fine, sometimes contrarian, but always mm. thoroughly considered writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we're going to get her on the show at some point so she can share her point of view with 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 the world mm. uh, because clearly. We the binge have a greater audience than she does MTV News, so oh, of it's, course. it's time to introduce her. Is that how you say it, MTV? You know, it's not uh-huh. just. <laughs> I never knew. We can ask her when she comes on and find out. Excellent. We'll give her the exposure that she needs. I didn't double check. Yeah. Um, what's been up with you? Well, it's been a crazy couple of weeks since I was last here. Since last time we taped the show, uh, I was doing that big talk about Julianne Moore mm. at Literary Pop. Which you, Rebecca, did attend. I did. Um, and, uh, and, and, and thank you for that. Thank mm-hmm. you for You're coming. Welcome. And, uh, and I, I, so I went up and I did my Julianne Moore talk, guys. And, um, and I don't know if I talked about this on the show or not, but so what this was, was just basically like a 10-minute personal essay that I wrote about what Julianne Moore means to me. And I had decided that I was going to open it by doing a cold open involving my, my sort of notorious through-the-years party performance of her monologue from the pharmacy in Magnolia. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so I, I did. I walked up onto the stage and I just kind of launched into it. And it was funny to stand there 
to be performing <laughs> through this monologue and also to be sensing the shifts in energy mm. that were happening in the audience. Because if you guys don't know this monologue, um, just look it up on YouTube. But it basically starts with her saying, motherfucker, motherfucker, fucking asshole. Who the fuck? Who the fuck do you think you are? Come Uh-oh, in here. Get the mics. Yeah, get yeah, the mics. Yeah. So, um, and so I just start doing that. And, um, and I feel people kind of start to laugh. And then they just kind of get uncomfortable. And then they just like go dead. Which is what you do in the movie when you're watching the movie. Uh-huh. Yeah. And that's, I mean, it's, you know, oh, I, I, mean, I personally am exhilarated, but beyond all reason. You are all that pharmacist. <laughs> <laughs> so how how did that feel in the audience watching your your beloved co-host go up there make a fool of himself in front of that room of 20 or so people i mean it's not that different from when it's just the two of us and that's true um but you know you were great i thought you were oh. fantastic i was i was expecting it so i knew mm-hmm. um i knew the whole thing uh, how it was gonna go but it was a great show all the performers were really good you were excellent oh, um well, thank you would love to hear you do uh do it for us here sometime. yes i think at some um, point i just might not now uh, yes, not now. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I did that, and then I actually went on a, a solo writing retreat that oh, week. Oh, right. Yeah, so I was out. Uh, out. I cut off from the rest of my life and just went by myself to Santa Cruz for about five days and just tried to work on some some brainstorming, some writing. And it was, guys, if you haven't taken a personal retreat where it's just you, just you, no one else, I highly recommend it because I just find it really helps you to get centered in yourself mm. um, and just you know it gives you you need distance you need distance from all the pieces of your life to have any sort of perspective on your life I mm-hmm. find uh, so I, I highly recommend this although it wasn't all sunshine and roses because I also definitely had like a dark night of the creative soul Ooh. in which I was like am I even a writer I don't think I am I'm bullshit I'm a fraud I can't write shit I should just give up and start a family um <laughs> so this definitely were thoughts that was going through my head for the first 36 hours in particular and then sporadically after that but I wish there was like a video montage of this oh god so I, I mean it was see the, the ups and then I feel like you went and got mozzarella sticks and then you <laughs> ate those and then you got the energy to write some more well guys I should say that it was actually I was staying at a catholic retreat center that was very empty while I was there so it was just me and some old nuns and the nuns the nuns didn't have any mozzarella sticks um hmm. but uh but they did sounds fantastic but one of them did give me a glass of riesling with dinner at one point oh. so these are cool nuns not regular nuns um and this conversation around modern versus versus ultra orthodox will come up later in our discussion <laughs> around the women's balcony but so uh, and then the more people I tell the story to, the more they're like, "Well, that's the fucking movie you should write." Is a story about you hanging out for five days with a bunch of old nuns in a house by the sea? I'm like, possibly. I feel like it's, it's life of David Gale, right? It's always right under yeah. your nose. What the life? <laughs> the life no. of David Gale? Yeah, not it. <laughs> what? That's the movie I saw anyway. You're right. You are always a Kevin Spacey type. To oh me. God! How dare you? Should we get into the movies? <laughs> <laughs> I need a minute to recover from the crippling blow of what you just said. You do that. Coming off of his, his terrible bombing of the Tonys. I know. What a shame. Uh, <laughs> so I'm just a tragic, sarcastic, closeted, bitter old queen who's past his expiration date. Is that what you're saying about me, Rebecca? So our first movie of the week is Rough Night, uh, which is our pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick of the week. Pick, pick, pick is the pick, pick of the week. week. Five best friends from college reunite for a wild bachelorette weekend in Miami. Their hard parting takes a hilariously dark turn when they accidentally kill a male stripper. Amid the craziness of trying to cover it up, they're ultimately brought closer together when it matters most. I had this nightmare 
where we had all killed a guy. That I is a reality. What? No! Oh my god, jet lag is insane, you guys. It's no joke. No joke. Alright, so let's get the ugly stuff out of the way first. Oh, oh, oh. I don't think you're Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Thank you. And then in addition, um, <laughs> this movie has one criticism, and it's that um, they they murder a sex worker. And Well, um, except, well, that's what you think. That's who you think they murdered. Oh. Yeah. The plot thickens. Mm-hmm. All right, well, then we'll just leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> Is that something people are saying? Yeah, it's definitely already... a thing. Oh, boy. It's a, I mean, it's a valid thing. That's oh, no, no, it would be. a terrible trope in film and media Oh, uh, yeah, for sure. Media in general. For sure. I mean, like, this This reminded me, this actually, funny, it ties into what we were saying about 90s movies that we didn't realize were super offensive at the time. But one of the main movies this calls back to for me is Very Bad Things. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, which was not only problematic in the sense that you have a sex worker who is killed and it's kind of played for laughs and we're meant to be feel sorry for the dudes that killed her mm-hmm. and are not trying to cover like what cover up her death. happened in their lives? They're going to be ruined by this. Right. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I believe the sex worker was also East Asian. Is it Tia Carrere? No, it From wasn't Tia It was not. It was not. I think it was a woman who resembled Tia Carrere. Oh, damn it. You racist. It still, still happens to this day. <laughs> I don't so see. insidious. See, I bring up the movie and it suddenly just triggers all this racism in us. So. Uh, no, Tia Carrere did not play the sex worker in Very Bad Things. But so, but uh, but that movie at the time, I didn't think anything of any of that because it was the 90s. Right. Um, and, you know, in the movie also is, is kind of misogynistic across the board because the reason they're trying to cover it up is because Cameron Diaz mm-hmm. is the bride to be and she's like a real bridezilla. And they're like, oh, man, she won't understand. Right. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, she's super unreasonable uh, that she'll be able to understand that Jeremy Piven like fucked a poor girl to death in the bathroom. Um, mm. Also, with- who thought that was going to be a good idea? <laughs> Jeremy Piven. Yeah, that was a pl- just a time and place uh, yeah, was. with the pivot. So you know, so it does have that callback to very bad things, and I can see how uh, you know, however much you know, sort of empowerment can come from the gender reversal um, of this story. Whereas normally, it's like you know, rowdy bachelor party movies are normally just that rowdy mm-hmm. bachelor party movies, um, where lots of crimes are committed by a bunch of like you know, doofy drunk horny bros who get in over their head. Um, and so just by reversing the gender, uh, you know, in this movie, that is one step. And certainly that would not make it excusable if it did make light of killing a sex worker. But that's not actually what happens in this movie. Oh, good. Yes. Um, so see, they anticipated that so... and they ticked it off. Excellent. I, w- I was, I would have been surprised because we have yeah. such an all-star cast, especially with someone like Alana Glazer involved. I can't mm-hmm. imagine that that would have... Uh, well, yeah, we see a lot of movies where we're like, wow, like they were so close to being mm-hmm. like not terrible. Then like the hot Amy Schumer movies. How did you not know that you could have just done this one thing that wasn't so racist or, well, or terrible? But while we're getting the ugly out of the way. Uh-oh. Um, and speaking of Alana Glazer. Uh-oh. Uh, there is, and I will say, so the, the movie by and large is is very modern and very kind of, you know, has has, has wokeness to it, which I'll get to. Um, but there, there are these two bits that hit sour notes, and they both weirdly involve Alana. What does she do? So, I'm picturing like an accent. Is no, an accent? no. There's a scene where, um, so she and Zoe Kravitz in the film, um, you know, are two of the close friends from this college group, and they dated when they were in college. 
And now they've, you know, gone from their different paths. And Zoe Kravitz has since married a dude and had a kid. And Alana is still this kind of like crazy, radical activist type lady. Um, and when they are all fighting um, after this death has occurred by accident, um, Zoe Kravitz brings up like, oh, well, like she's like, well, you know, in case you guys all haven't noticed, because they're basically talking about who stands to lose the most if the police get involved. <laughs> and she's like, and also I'm black. I don't know if you guys can see that if you look at me like that's also that complicates it for me she's like i don't know if you guys have forgotten that and then alana says no i think maybe you've forgotten that oh yeah interesting which i was like hmm i was like oh it's a hard one to land no, and make no. any sense no because i mean like, that's such a you know i mean like that's to have a, a white person ever like sort of mm-hmm. lecture a person of color that they're not performing their ethnicity right um to the white person's standards uh, because, you know, it's meant to be a joke. Because Zoe's character in this movie is is super, 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 like, bougie posh. And oh, because originally I sort of heard it as, like, just Alana's character was, like, such a terrible, like, activist in a way that was, like, not a, a very tone deaf. Oh, yeah, no. But um, no, it's it's in relation I mean, like, to a character that, that it's, has, it's like... It's a character thing. Ooh, that's not good. I know. That's and, not good. And I was like, how did that get in there? And I've been trying to think about a way that it would work with, like... Because I'm like, this This movie is written by Paul Downs and Lucia Aniello, mm-hmm. who are the two primary collaborators of Abby and Alana on Broad City, mm-hmm. who write and direct most of the episodes. And the movie is directed by Lucia, uh, which makes this the first uh, sort of raunchy R-rated studio comedy to be directed by a woman since Half-Baked in 1998. What? Which was directed by Tamara Davis. Wow. First one wow. since then, almost since 19 Man, really years. Is a... 19 years. Hard uh, space to get in. So, uh, but so I would think that, you know, they would have had these conversations like, obviously, this is not cool. And it's super, super lazy and racist to have like, white people laughing about like, oh, a black person who acts white or whatever like that. Mm-hmm. And that just feels like that's what the joke is meant to be in that mm. part. And I really don't want to belabor this because I really fucking love this movie. Um, but it, it just it was just this jarring, sour note mm-hmm. um, in the middle of so much kind of awesomeness. And, uh, you know, and I think that maybe what they were trying to reach for was kind of what you were thinking, this idea that like, oh, she's such an activist that she's like self-righteous and thinks Mm -hmm. she can lecture people of color. Right. But there's no other joke made about that. Like mm. that would, you know, if you, that was the joke, you would then volley it to Zoe Kravitz to be like, oh, really? Right, like, exactly. You, know, you think you can tell me, you know, but there, it just leaves it at that as mm. if like the joke is at Zoe's expense that she's like bougie posh and not like, quote unquote, like owning her race or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also a scene a few minutes later where Alana throws cash into a black cab driver's face. Oh. Yeah. Uh, hmm. so I was, I was like, mm, well, this is why, why are both of these moments involving Alana and, and, yeah. there, and no joke is made about it. Yeah. You know, so there's no like, you know, no one makes the joke. So you're just sitting there like, Oh God, what was that? Right. So, and I only say this at the top of the, to get the, it at out. the top of the review. Get it all you, out. You, you want to start ugly. So I'm like, and then you brought up Alana. I always do. And <laughs> Start Ugly is the name of your lifestyle guide. Uh, <laughs> Nobody subscribes. <laughs> it sounds better than goop. Right, exactly. Start Ugly. Um, anyway. So, uh, uh, but yeah, so that was, that. those were the, the weird sour notes for me. Okay. So that all aside, uh, this is just so fucking funny. This is such a funny movie. This is just like... It's just nonstop. It's just, I was laughing from the time I sat down to the time I got up. 
And when it comes to comedies, that's really at the end of the day what I'm what I Absolutely. want. That, that, what else can I judge them against? I mean, you're all you're like all jittery right now. You're so yeah. excited about it. I mean, I like I saw it. Watch it with Scott, and then next to Ingu and uh, and her friend, and the four of us were just like laughing from beginning to end. Uh, I, I I do I feel like it truly is the funniest female ensemble comedy from a studio since Bridesmaids. Funnier than Bridesmaids? I wouldn't say it's funnier than Bridesmaids, no. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that it is, uh, which I mean, it's it's that's like an impossible bar to clear, really. Sure. I mean, Bridesmaids is one of the funniest movies ever made. It's a comedy masterpiece. This is non-comedy masterpiece, but it is just just a dirty, funny, quick, good time. It seems like it would be hard with all of the A-plus comedic talent to mm-hmm. make it all work, to fit it all in. You have Kate yeah. McKinnon, mm-hmm. Julian Bell, Anna Glazer. Yeah. I mean, how does that, how do they work? Is the chemistry just like through the roof? That is one of the things that I really enjoyed about it. And I was telling Scott was uh, that like with those three powerhouse titans of comedy, like... I would expect there to be some sort of like jockeying for, you know, who gets There's to be just funny not enough or, space or, or for like, all of their, or what if they each have their own weird thing and they don't vibe off of each other. Mm-hmm. Um, but they, but they do like each of them gets to be funny in their way. And like, you know, and it feels like it's very even, it feels very mm-hmm. egalitarian and like how much funny each of them gets to bring to the table. There's a lot more interaction between Jillian Bell and Kate McKinnon. So Jillian plays sort of the, the busybody organizer of the whole thing. And um, and she, it's a, that friend who kind of appoints themselves the leader of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, you know, everyone just kind of lets them. And in this particular case, they let her do it because they kind of feel like maybe she's the one who has the lamest life mm. out of the four of them, which is sort of the unspoken thing. And, you know, so she needs to, you know, sort of get off on, like, being like, look what I did. Look what I did for you. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm such a good friend. And uh, and then Kate McKinnon is sort of as a prize addition to the Bachelorette that Jillian somehow failed to pick up on that Scarlett met when she was doing a semester abroad in Australia. Oh, she's the Australian. Kate McKinnon is the Australian friend. Okay, okay. And, uh, and, and she does the accent in such a way that I remember for years years i believed that she actually was australian um just because i think i saw her do um a tabitha takes on parody on snl <laughs> and she did the accent so well and there's something about her there are so many actors that come out of australia that are blonde and have like perfect features mm-hmm. and she is blonde and has perfect features and i was like she's australian clearly she just is and i think up until maybe even this year scott, oh, wow. scott was like why are you saying that? I'm like, she's Australian. He's like, Mm-mm. I'm like, no, I'm like, no, no, she is. Um, she isn't, but she does love doing the accent and she does it with great relish. So she shows up as the friend Scarlett met during a semester abroad who she made uh, a very close contact with. And, um, and then Jillian is just like furious, um, you know, not having it, mm-hmm. uh, you know, just setting up lots of showdowns where Kate's just oblivious, just like, yeah, you're, you're my best friend. And <laughs> Jillian's like, mm, I mean, I kind of am, you know, like, I mean, like your friendship is not like the friendship we have, you know, so I mean, just stop it. Um, so, so that's sort of where a lot of the humor more, so there's sort of those two are kind of paired off and then Zoe and Alan are kind of mm-hmm. more paired off and Zoe as, you know, like credit to Scott on this. Um, Zoe once again finds herself um, helping a group of white women cover up a murder, <laughs> just like on Big Little Lies. Uh, so uh, that is the the type that she's playing in 2017, and that's it. Uh, and that's and that's and that's okay. It's funny because she's you know she's not funny, Zoe Kravitz. Mm. 
Um, and, you know, Scarlett Johansson can be very funny. She's not like a natural comedian or anything. Um, so they are, they don't try to get in the way right. of the three g- geniuses that are there just all firing on all cylinders the entire time. Which friend are you? Is this like a Sex in the City where you're like, I'm the Miranda? Oh, God. I'm the Charlotte. Is that what people say? <laughs> you know, is, that, is that a thing? Um, well, when people are like, you're well, obviously the Miranda. I know, like, I get it. Well, you're saying you know, I'm like, gay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, like, like I always say, I'm a, you know, Samantha in the boardroom and a Miranda in the bedroom. <laughs> Stole that from Billy Eichner on Parks and Rec. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I don't, I don't know that it's that kind of, they're all playing just these loony caricatures. Mm. So it's definitely not that kind of thing where it's, it's such a heightened, ridiculous, absurd comedy that there's not like, you're not like there, while there is that recognizable dynamic, um, in the friend group, particularly in this kind of resentment, unspoken stuff between Scarlett and Jillian, uh, there is there is some of that, mm-hmm. um, but no, no, no. Um, it's it, these are this is like one of those sort of animated cartoon type movies. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, any other wonderful things to say other than get up and go watch it right now? Uh, well, you know, uh, so we also have, um, so Paul Downs, in addition to, um, co-writing it, also, um, stars in it in his biggest fil- uh, film role to date as Scarlett's fiance, mm-hmm. which is, I guess, what you get to do when you're the writer. <laughs> you get to <laughs> give yourself that role. But Paul Downs, who plays Trey on Broad City, if you're not mm-hmm. recognizing the name, um, is, I mean, he's, he's, he, he, he's a movie star. I mean, like, he's very handsome. He's very funny, has a very sort of endearing but perverse kind of energy to him. And, uh, and he, he acquits himself very nicely in that role. Like, it, this is a role that, you know, I think a lot of guys would have killed to play because it really is like a plum comedic role. Um, and his bro, he has like a bro posse um, that is set up as a sort of humorous juxtaposition to the wild insanity happening with the women where they just like sit around sipping wine and like eating cheese and just sort of like being very milk toast. But they have, like, awesome dudes in there. Uh, they have Hassan Minaj mm. uh, is in there. Uh, Eric Andre, oh. uh, Bo Burnham are all there, uh, just kind of, like, hanging out with Paul Downs until he is called away to sort of try to figure out what's happening down in Florida. Uh, so great cast in that sense as well. And I will say there is someone in the movie who I, I think may have gasped out loud when I saw her show up because I didn't know she was going to be in it. And I won't say anything about her role. But I will just say, Demi Moore is in this what? movie. Demi Moore is in this fucking movie. Oh my god! Uh, so, I want to know more. Don't tell so, us. <laughs> uh, so, oh, I was, I was going to talk about the wokeness. Mm. So there is. So I feel like um, a good kind of you know I guess measure for whether the movie was sort of subtly you know laying out any sort of like progressive agenda is whether or not dudes get angry and leave during the movie. And that did happen at our screening. Well, somebody got, and it was a press screening? Yeah, there was, well, it was a press and public. Oh, and then public. Press and public. Yeah, no. Um, so there is a line in the movie where um, the women start talking about um, uh, like uh, law enforcement abuse. And then one of the characters starts talking about a real life situation um, with a police officer uh, who's named Daniel Holtzclaw who was an Oklahoma mm. City police officer who mm-hmm. used his uh, authority to sexually assault multiple women. Yeah. And um, and when they got to that line, this guy just got up and, and just stormed down the aisle and screamed, I don't give a shit! And left the theater. What? Yeah. 
Wow. Yeah. This is in San Francisco? This was in San Francisco. At at least a half press screening. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't, is... it wasn't a matter of the press. Um, sure. But, but, uh... <laughs> You're like, I see you, Nicholas L. <laughs> <laughs> he always does this. <laughs> So uh, it's so close to the exit. It's actually Jan Wall. Just uh, just saw <laughs> just saw a flash of a hat, and then out she went. Um, so, she doesn't want to hear it. It's a thing. <laughs> she's like, you know, I don't care. I don't care. <laughs> um, so yeah, so you know, so it does kind of have enough that it's gradually laying out. Um, Great. That, that at least this one fucking Pepe um, had had enough and decided to. I've never heard someone be called a Pepe. <laughs> you need to watch more Samantha B. Apparently, I'm into it. So, but, uh, so it had all that going on for it and, uh, and it was funny beginning to end. It's just a raunchy, hilarious, good time. It lets these amazing women shine brightly and, you know, it's like, it's my sense of humor and Mm -hmm. all these women are my sense of humor. And so like, you might be thinking, oh, okay, well, you're going to love it no matter what, but no, not the case. If anything, that meant that like my expectations were were too high and it, it like came through. I was just like having the best time watching this movie. So I really... Really recommend it. I go out see it opening weekend. We this is already off to a great start as a summer for female directors with Patty Jenkins mm-hmm. and Wonder Woman, which continues to just break records and and all this awesome shit. Let's keep it going for Lucia and Yellow and Rough Night uh, because this is and this is just a great fun comedy time at the movies. You're giving it a no doubt binge it. It's the pick of the week and it's rated R for crude sexual content, language throughout, drug use, and brief bloody images. And just when you think it can't get any funnier, folks, our second movie is The Women's Balcony. When a charismatic rabbi enters their lives, some women in Jerusalem attempt to unite their neighborhood and preserve their traditions. So we don't have a trailer for this one because it is in Hebrew. Um, But that's okay because Jason's going to act it all out and see. Um, So um, these ladies (laughs) and then there's these people who are on a balcony and then, <laughs> then it collapses um so yeah so the premise of this movie uh takes place in um in in, in present day uh israel um among a small tight-knit um religious community um and they are they are orthodox jews uh but they're not ultra orthodox mm. uh they're sort of like a more kind of modern orthodox and um, and so uh, they are all in their synagogue for a bar mitzvah, and then the women's balcony. So they, you know, they're orthodox enough that they mm-hmm. believe that that uh, they're you know sex separate um, um, sections of the synagogue. Um, so the women have a balcony, and then the balcony collapses, and um, and they are left without um, a synagogue. And so the men um, set off trying to uh, find, a, you know, I guess there's something called, I don't know the word for it, but you, you need to have like 10 men to pray together. So they set off trying to find the 10 men required to, you know, reach this. It's like a prayer quorum. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and then they sort of by accident meet this this charismatic, but it turns out ultra-Orthodox. If only it was a Quran quorum. Young rabbi. <laughs> Uh, a young rabbi who is smoking hot, um, but who uh, is uh, so he shows up in their lives and is like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll bring you tons of men to pray with you. And then, he, at which point you were interested in the movie? Yes, I'm like, go on. I know, like they, <laughs> he comes like like bustling up this hill with all these young dudes with him, and he's like, let's do this. I'm like, let's. <laughs> um. So, uh, but yeah, so he uh, he you know establishes this role, and all the men are sort of looking up to him, 
And uh, because he's young, he's charismatic, and he's able to sort of couch his ideas in what seems like positive, um, upbeat attitudes and perspectives. And so, um, like, he gives, uh, so he first starts to show his true colors when he gives this, um, he gives a sermon about purity and women and how it actually honors your wives to make them wear headscarves. Um, because women are so wonderful that they should be forced to wear headscarves, um, you know, because of their purity. And, um, and so, and then the husbands all like go home and try to put headscarves on their wives and it does not go well. Um, so like the women, the women's, you know, kind of are very, uh, uh, they're like, no. Um, (laughs) and, uh, so they start to resist this and then this, but this young rabbi just takes on more and more influence and power in their community and ends up uh, taking um, funds to rebuild um, the synagogue and rebuilding it without a women's balcony and tries to confine them to a separate tiny space entirely. Oh, so he's trying to move them to a more orthodox. But yes. you don't see that coming because he's so young and hip and cute. Right. Um, and so, oh. yes, but it turns out that he's actually ultra-orthodox, which tends to happen with a lot. I mean, like, because the a lot of characters in this movie are definitely 30s, 40s, 50s. Mm-hmm. So it does, you know, it does tend to be the younger, uh, more charismatic guys who do end up being kind of more extreme and being zealots. And that's the case with this dude. Uh, so it was, uh, it was written by, uh, this one was written by a woman who grew up in the Orthodox Jerusalem community and uh, like the one in the film. And she said that her goal here was, quote, to tell the story of the moderate people who are forced to deal with growing religious extremism. Mm. And um, and she does that in this movie, and she does it in a really, but in a really palatable, mm-hmm. like broad, accessible way. We should note that this movie is one of the greatest domestic box office hits in Israel history. Really, in the history of domestic box office in Israel, this is one of the biggest hits, and so it's clearly striking a chord mm-hmm. um, with Israel audiences. Um, and, uh, you know, because it's sort of, I guess she cited movies like Waking Dead Divine as her inspiration. So these sort of, um, you know, British movies about the misadventures of small town life Mm -hmm. and just to make it really audience friendly and palatable. And she does, you know, this movie is, is a really ultimately sort of like upbeat kind of lightweight feeling comedy drama. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and when I was watching it, if anything, I was almost turned off by it having too much respect for the religious community that it was depicting. Because I feel like any movie that is set within like a, uh, a really um, you know observant, devout religious community that doesn't also have like active questioning of the community mm-hmm. and just kind of like, where's, you know, where's that at? And the movie is intensely respectful um, of Orthodox Judaism um, while also sort of drawing this line in the sand. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and being like, this is, uh, you know, this is, this is a way that we are divided you know, rather than brought together. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and it's it's super, super specific, but of course it also ties into so many yeah. different faith communities around the world, whether, you know, communities bound by faith, by ideology, mm-hmm. whatever. Um, you know, even we have like, you know, uh, the, you know, the shooter at the GOP baseball practice right. was a big, you know, Bernie guy. Um, you know, so like you have, uh, you know, just trying to find that line to draw. Um, and this movie is kind of about that struggle and it plays out amongst this sort of just, yeah, just really tight-knit community, played lots of vibrant performances. It's kind of like farcy feeling. Farcical, I mean, not like farcy the language. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so the, um, do the women band together? Yeah, the women band together. There's a lot of, yeah, the, the, the women band together quite uh, strongly. 
um, and uh, and ultimately are you know protesting and yeah the women absolutely organize and it's sort of um, you know it's similar to sort of like Lysistrata the sort of mm-hmm. like the women basically like declare war on their husbands for mm-hmm. cooperating with this with this young rabbi and uh, in the movie it doesn't it does not make the young rabbi into a cardboard villain. Mm. Um, which is more than I can say about the villains from the most recent season of Orange is the New Black. Oh, so get, you've been sitting on that dig for a minute, so, huh? So there's actually, you know, there, there's, you know, he, we see his well-meaningness. And I think that's part of what makes this a film that could affect change or change people's points of view because it doesn't come out in attack mode um, against any of its characters. You know, so it's a, mm-hmm. it's 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 understanding, and it's being like, yeah, of course, like you know, she as you know the screenwriter as a woman who grew up in this community understands where this ultra orthodox young rabbi would be coming from, and you know, so I like, feel like that's one of the, I mean, it's one of the hardest things in movies that we see fail all the time is is trying to set up a, a complexity to both the character, not making a, a story black and white, and, mm-hmm. and showing uh, where different uh, perspectives are coming from, and yeah. being being able to relate to. Um, you know, all sides of the movie. That, mm-hmm. It's so hard to do. It's yeah. hard to do in not even, you know, in, in literature and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So that's, that's, it sounds like a great, great film. I'm getting, picking up great vibes from you. It's this movie that I really wanted to see and had been pushing for us to watch and then I wasn't able to see it. Guys, it's real, oh. it's, a, it's a real sad story. Isn't uh, it the way? This, this was supposed to come out originally back in like February or mm-hmm. March or something yeah. and Rebecca was so amped to see it I and then it kept being pushed, with you. pushed and pushed and Please. pushed and pushed with its SF release date. And now here we are, and it just wasn't the right week. You know what? It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, fortunately, the screener link still works. So oh, excellent. You, so you yeah, can still check it out. watch it. Um, so this movie, what are you going to give it? Um, you know, honestly, I'm going to give it a consumer moderation. Okay. Um, just because, uh, you know, it's not the kind of movie that I could just be like, oh, yeah, like you got to see The Women's Balcony. Um, you know, it's a movie that, uh, you know, there were, as I said, there were pieces of it that felt a little bit too much like a faith-based film. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a way that, you know, was a little kind of like, mm, yeah, a little too, God, I don't know what the word would be. Uh, I, <laughs> the phrase that comes to mind is a little too drink the Kool-Aid, uh, mm-hmm. but that's not right. Uh, you know, just, just sort of that, that feeling of like, oh, look at all these people loving, you know, their organized religious uh, lives together, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is like, okay, cool, that's great and all. But like, you know, the movie is a little bit too uh, on that tip. Mm-hmm. It kind of turned me off uh, at points. Um, but, uh, but, you know, as it went on and as it became more and more about this division and about the organizing that needed to happen, it's certainly a movie that I can get behind uh, in that regard. Uh, and The Women's Balcony is out now and it is unrated. You'd probably give it a what? PG thirteen? Um, it'd probably honestly just be like a PG. Mm. Yeah. Oh, maybe that's the problem. <laughs> exactly. You hate those family flicks. I really do. Um, so that brings us to our third movie, which I'm so delighted to say is one of our um, what do you call it again? Spoil that shit. That's it. Uh, it's called The Book of Henry. Single mother Susan Carpenter works as a waitress supported by her genius savant son Henry, protective of his brother and a tireless supporter of his often self-doubting mother. Henry blazes through the days like a comet. When Susan discovers that the family next door harbors a dark secret, she's surprised to learn that Henry has devised a plan to help their young daughter. Hey, Susan, I guess I could just set you up a direct deposit if that's easier. I, I don't know. I'll have to ask Henry. You have to ask your 11-year-old? Did our financial statement come in the mail today? Yeah, I forgot to give it to you. I don't know how you do it all by yourself. Come on, I have Henry. Find me another male of the species who's more grown up than him. I'd like to. 
So that clip doesn't tell the whole story of the movie, but it does really kind of just, it gives us a good jumping off point about one of the first things that really stuck out uh, to us about this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to go ahead and talk through um, sort of the the broad strokes, um, getting specific at points with what mm-hmm. happens in this movie. We're going to talk about from beginning to end. Um, and so if you want to see the book of Henry and you don't want to know what happens, um, stop listening now. I think we are going to be giving it a send it back. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, Rebecca? yeah. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so it's going to be a send it back. And what I'm curious about is to see if we can even explain with, <laughs> with our words what makes this movie so intensely, bizarrely bad. This is like that when you try to explain that movie with the eels. <laughs> The, the eels and the people, yes. or is it the... Is that the people and the eels? What's the eels and the people? <laughs> Hashtag deadlock jury. <laughs> Who can say? So... Um, okay, great. Um, I think this is one of the first things that makes it bizarre, because it's uh, something that we both took away feeling very uncomfortable about, mm-hmm. um, but the movie doesn't doesn't go all the way and make it, uh, make it the point of the movie, which is that we have uh, Naomi Watts, who plays the mother um, of this um, boy, Henry, a savant, a genius. Um, it takes care of everything clearly. And speaking of play, painting characters with um, without nuance, if this clip wasn't enough to show how clear they make it that he is the smartest person that has ever lived and she is a an adult child, um, then you should see the clip of her trying to play. All she does is play Xbox. Yeah. Poorly, I yeah. might add. Um, Which is funny because when I first saw that, I didn't even make the connection until you put it that way. At first, when they showed her playing video games, I was like, "Oh, that's such like a that's such like a screenwriter detail to be like, oh, how can we make this character unique? Oh, I know, she's a grown woman who loves video games. Mm-hmm. But yes, it does also make sense within the sort of parent child dynamic that the two of them have. That is rev- the inverse of what it should be. And it also just kind of rings kind of like a Paul Abdul MC Scat Cat kind of dynamic where any excuse to bring that up <laughs> every time, everything every everywhere you look time. in the world, you just see them looking back at you, I just dancing up and down them steps. Up into the track. <laughs> the dynamic borders on inappropriate. Inappropriate at best. Yeah. Uh, the point. The point where uh, where I really started to feel uncomfortable about the nature of their relationship is a scene where they show them literally laying side by side in Naomi's bed, and he is sitting there like looking over the financials. <laughs> And and she is just like lying next to him, and they're having just very casual adult banter. Mm-hmm. And he is like her—he's her eleven-year-old son. Yes. <laughs> it's it, very uncomfortable. But and it, yeah, you know, and even before we get to that point, you know, so the film you know gets started, and I, I will say I I had some high hopes for this film. Um, partially because, uh, you know, so it's directed by Colin Trevorrow, mm-hmm. who before he made Jurassic World, he made Safety Not Guaranteed, mm-hmm. which is a movie that I really loved. And I was hoping this would be sort of a return to form to that kind of more like quirky, you know, indie type story. Uh, and the cast is phenomenal. You know, so we have Naomi Watts. We have Sarah Silverman playing the role of her sort of like wise, cracking, drunky best friend waitress. Because this movie also exists in a world where a small town diner has Sarah Silverman and Naomi Watts working as waitresses <laughs> at it. Um, we have in the role of Henry, we have Jaden Lieberher, um, who was in uh, Saint Vincent, uh, who was mm-hmm. very good in that film, and honestly, he's very good in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, in the role of his younger brother, uh, who is uh, unremarkable, a normal little boy, aside from his superhuman ability to wring tears from audience members of all ages and convince childless adults everywhere to have kids. <laughs> Jacob Tremblay. 
I mean, it really is the highlight of the movie. Is I Jacob mean, Tremblay. the cutest, the cutest, and, and he uh, wears little glasses. Oh my god, they, they made him look like such a little grown up. I love it. <laughs> I couldn't even take it. He was the adult the whole time. <laughs> and uh, and then this is the one that I was the most excited about is that um, this movie marks the major film debut of Ms. Maddie Ziegler, formerly of Dance Moms, now best known as Sia's Dancing Muse, mm-hmm. starting with the Chandelier video. And uh, so, yeah, so I was like, I was fucking amped on and with Dean Norris also, Dean Norris from Breaking Bads mm-hmm. in the film. And now he's currently on Claws. He's working, but for him. So, yeah, I was, I was very excited for this film. But so as it's getting started and we're kind of, you know, getting this, you know, we're getting our exposition. Um, there's a scene in, a, in Henry's classroom where all the kids are asked to come forward and talk oh, about Christ. my legacy. And you can hear a bit of this in the trailer as well, what he says, but... So, and just, so I was already like, my legacy, which then when you stand back and look at it in the context of the entire movie, it's very incredibly on the nose and mm-hmm. heavy handed that it starts with my legacy. <laughs> and also that's definitely not a thing that you had to talk about when you're in elementary school. Not at all. Um, but so, um, so this kid before him gives like a really kind of charmingly goofy, you know, my legacy talk. And then Henry goes up and gives like just the most cliche uh, sort of like pseudo philosophical, like you know, it's just all about what happens to you when you're on this side of the dirt. Yeah, and <laughs> literally, he says this side. Of the I'm dirt. like, oh Jesus! It's not about what you do; it's the connections that you yeah, make. Yeah, exactly. Legacy is nothing. Legacy is who you have in your world and what 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 impact you make on their lives on this side of the dirt. You're just like waiting for him, just like you know, to like light up a cigarette, and you know, <laughs> like it's a kind of like if if it was Christian Slater giving this talk in Heather's, it would have seemed a lot more appropriate mm-hmm, mm-hmm. than it does with this 11 year old boy. And I kept waiting for the movie to make a joke about it. And so we pivot to the teacher and, you know, she kind of had a reaction shot already where it's like, okay, she sees that this is weird and pivots to her. And rather than being like, okay, you know, like, no, there's, she's like, instead it's exposition. Instead she's like, remind me why, you know, Mm -hmm. you're not in the gifted, gifted school as if like the audience is thinking like this kid's gifted and not like, shut the fuck up kid, (laughs) Uh, which is what we're all thinking. Um, and he and then he gives more exposition mm-hmm. back to her and says He's like, like I need to because I need to be socialized and it's like oh god so which is even also strange because right before that they set it up where they had another kid give his legacy and he was like I want to be the best dodgeball player in the world I want to be in the dodgeball Olympics mm-hmm. um, and it's like you know a cute kid what yeah. you would say if you were in grade school and then the teacher's like yeah thanks Jimmy I kind of basic but and I <laughs> right. like both laugh yeah, so like yeah, okay so, this is gonna yeah, be a comedy so, yeah, and then this funny. happens and then that happens and then it seems super obnoxious like it's this little white boy that's right. just like telling everybody about so how life precocious. is when honestly I mean I hate him because I see pieces of me <laughs> um, nobody but... liked him <laughs> shut up <laughs> um, so yeah and then you're like oh okay this is this is this movie is does not think there was anything wrong with what just happened this movie is like Oh, look at him go. Oh, he's so smart. This is great. Mm-hmm. And um, like they, they really uh, take no uh, take no relaxing moment of trying to show you exactly how yeah. brilliant he is. Yeah. And again, I will say Jaden Lieberher plays this in a way that I think I wanted to punch him in the face way less than I would have. Yeah. With a different I actor. Like I think, you know, he definitely plays a sort of like the burden of being yeah. um as yeah. as you know smart as he is and of you know being having to be the sort of like basically the head of the household that's true i mean because you could easily like i feel like you're just waiting for him to grow up into like a men's rights like uh, you know <laughs> actually uh obnoxious right 
and he and he amazingly doesn't really come across like he's not he doesn't really come across that way he's very you can tell he's he's been so much smarter than everyone for such a long time that he's learned how to like not be a dick about it. I mean, that's it. why they kept him in the regular school. Exactly. You know, he, he learned his lesson. So from there he goes home and that's where you see the dynamic um, with his just couldn't be more opposite mother who ba- basically works as a waitress even though he's been investing for her and they have hundreds of thousands of dollars in the bank because of his, he like gets on a payphone and he's like, buy, sell, buy. Yeah, whatever it is. Like, <laughs> that does happen. Two and a quarter on seven. And that does happen. I don't even know how to, how stocks work. However that And happens. who calls him on the phone? Anyway. I don't know. Um, but she can't do anything. Um, yeah, and it is Hapless. It's it's played again so so heavy handed. It's so obvious. It's which again, like I didn't necessarily I didn't read the way she played the character as being a total mess. Yeah, it's um, the like, other thing too. It's not like where it, was like, this tragic happy with it like, tragic like maybe because she does she drinks more than he would like. So if she had been this like f- like sort of like full alcoholic mm-hmm, can't do anything. Right, that'd be it's one like thing. this purposeful like I don't know. I just can't she's do whimsical. it. She's whimsical. Yeah. She's like a free. She's more of a free spirit. She's more of a, she's more of a dharma. A dharma. <laughs> Yeah, basically, she's the Dharma, he's the Greg. <laughs> they have a real D&G uh, relationship going on. Right. Dharma, get down from that table. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. No, Greg, you come up here. It's really one of those really uh, that they have going on between the two of them. <laughs> So, and so she's a dharma. That's all you need to know. And um, and she's perfectly content. Like, she sees nothing wrong with the relationship. And she's very content in it. And she's still, like... She found the man of her dreams. Exactly. By having him. And she's still... Oh, and she's still, <laughs> and she still like, tucks him in at night and everything. You know, yeah. like, he doesn't actually, as far as we know, sleep in her bed. Um, and then that's the, that's the thing that almost makes it ironic about what's going on next door that ultimately right, right. takes like, over the they're story. They're the one that should have been together. Not that terrible couple. <laughs> so, um... So yeah, so we're just going through life with this, you know, cast of characters, and um, and so Maddie Ziegler is uh, plays the girl who Henry has a crush on, and she happens to live next door with her stepfather, who's a police commissioner, who's played by Dean Norris, and um, and we notice that she's very, she doesn't really say much. She just kind of sits around, like kind of with this beguiling expression on her face, or you know, or, or we'll just sort of stare off into the distance. And we gradually piece it together that she's being abused by mm-hmm. her stepfather. But I feel like at first you can't tell if it's just Henry having right. an overactive imagination sure. mm-hmm. or not. Although the film, this is the thing, the film never actually even says what's happening. I think that, so there's this point where, um, spoiler alert, Henry dies. We'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> but there's this point where um, uh, Naomi Watts' character mm-hmm. is looking out the window. Right. And she, um, I, I feel the way she reacts, mm-hmm. it is oh. very clear that something oh, yeah. is going on. Oh, for sure. No, I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. I'm saying the movie never even says it. It never even oh, says no. the word. Mm-mm. So, no. yeah. So, there's a, there's a you know, so Henry starts to become concerned about what's happening to Maddie. And then he, you know, I mean, nothing worse than that happened in the hands of Abby Lee to Maddie, let me tell you. But, um, so, no worse. That's a dance mom joke. That's a dance mom's joke. So, he looks out the window, the same window that Naomi looks at later, and he has a look of just great horror on his face. And we see that she's sitting in her bedroom, and we see Dean Norris leave his, his, his recliner downstairs. And then we can infer from the look on his face what's happening. And then this happens again later with Naomi Watts, where we can infer from her reaction, which is much greater and more mm-hmm. dramatic than Henry's, what's happening. But the movie never even says it. No, we both think like, it's sexual abuse. Yeah, right? like clearly, yeah, he's like he's he's you know, he's raping his stepdaughter. Mm-hmm. 
And we in the movie never it never I'm like, why are you being so opaque about this? It was weird because it was so like, obvious, yeah. but also I why don't know. why why being like, Oh, well, you can't you can't say that. Why? Is it some sort of ratings thing where you're just like, Oh, we really, we really want to keep this PG thirteen and you can actually say the words. It just it's so bogus um to just any sense of victims' rights mm-hmm. to not say it. You know, you have to name it. Right. And the movie doesn't name it. It lets it be this this whispered secret. Which is funny because Henry says every other word that exists in the English language. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so but he doesn't do that. So he and so Henry starts to investigate um, what to do um, to help rescue his his crush from the situation, um, up to and including going to a uh, a gun store um, in which he is conveniently present. In which uh, a guy drops the right local mobster name, I guess, yeah, despite I guess. the fact that this being in some sort of like fucking like podunk upstate New York town, like just idyllic as can be. Which I still noticed was an Italian name. Which, I oh yes, you. oh yeah. I see you, movie, <laughs> with your outdated stereotypes. So he finds Italian out that name, the name you can drop to make sure you can get any gun without any sort of registration. And, uh, and then, so it's around this point where it start. It, the movie takes a sharp turn. It takes the first of several sharp turns. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. At this point. So kind of out of the blue, um, Henry one night, um, at, right after he's been put to bed, falls out of his bed and has a very violent seizure. While poor little Jacob Tremblay is just screaming his little heart out. Um, Naomi has to come running in, takes him to the hospital. And this is this is all, this is the first act. Yeah, it <laughs> this is. This is all in the first act. It is. Um, so, uh, so it gets taken to the hospital and they sort of quickly find out that he has um he has like a he has like a brain tumor. He has a brain tumor. He has a brain tumor. Inoperable. Yeah, and they or they try to they, they, tried. they do they do a procedure and it's not successful. You wouldn't know what it's called, but he does because and Henry, he pretty much schools the doctor. The doctor Henry looks in. at his own charts. Yeah. He's like the doctor's like, "Well, you know, sometimes we get sick." And he's like, "Oh, it's a this and this and that. You try this and that didn't work and it's because of this. Did you try that?" Yeah, it's like it's it's and the doctor <sighs> is just like and we're supposed to, we're, we're, we're supposed to believe that Henry's expertise literally knows no bounds. Yeah. Um and just any piece of knowledge that you could have about life in the world around you um that he somehow has that knowledge. And so so he sits there basically yeah lecturing this this brain surgeon. This poor man's Jake Gyllenhaal. <laughs> Um, and, uh, and then he, and then Henry in his very grown up way, just as like, oh, okay. He figures out like, he's like, well, I'm going to, he's like, well, I'm dying. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then he just gets ready. He still has to he, handhold everybody else through the oh, whole yeah. thing. At this every, point, he's probably welcomes death as a relief from really these does. fucking idiots he's like, around oh, God, the day to day. The worst people. And even, and so, and then we, so we, we see that he's been working on this sort of red journal. And he takes a little Jacob Tremblay aside and, and, and just crying his eyes out. And is like, you know, like, after, after, you have to give mom my red journal. It is the most important thing. You have to give it to her. And Jacob's like, okay. And it's like, Very oh, touching. little guy, little guy. And then even, even the way, even Henry's death scene plays out like he's this like 80 year old yeah. poet. Yeah. <laughs> Because he, he like he like staggers out of the bed in the middle of the night. He's like, I want to see the sky. I want to see the sky. Um, and uh, and then he dies. Uh, and <laughs> sigh relief all around. <laughs> so he kicks over, and um, <laughs> and uh, and then we go through sort of like a morning montage mm-hmm. of of Naomi trying to figure out what her she life really is now. She really just loses the whole thing. You know, I mean, he was her rock. <laughs> 
he was her her spouse. No one's prepared to deal with the death to, to of lose your 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 son one, husband. husband. <laughs> right to lose your to lose your tween spouse in such a sudden um, senseless <laughs> way. Um, and so she's really just left adrift um, yeah. without him, without only little Jacob Tremblay running around, and um, you know, in the support of Sarah Silverman, of course. Uh, who even in this movie is just such a delight. Really is. I mean, the it's woman. The, the woman can do no wrong. No. You know, like just her way with the line reading mm-hmm. just lands ten times out of ten. Um. So uh, and I, like I Sarah Silverman, Jacob Tremblay, and the beautiful uh like, Dean like upstate. I was gonna say upstate New York scenery. <laughs> and the beautiful Dean Norris is no? okay. so pretty. Yes. And it's it's fall. There's there's so much so, so many trees. Mm. The lake. Were those beautiful. oaks? Look yeah. like Kent. Mm, it did look like, like Kent. Kent. No, so pretty. Mm. Uh, so, uh, so then around this point, um, once we've gotten through the grieving portion of the film, uh, Jacob Tremblay remembers that he's supposed to give that book to her. Mm-hmm. This is where it takes another turn. And here's where we have another turn. So, uh, in the book, what the book actually is is Henry laying out in characteristically meticulous, painstaking detail. Why it is essential, first explaining to his mother that Maddie is being raped by her stepfather. Without saying it. Without saying the word. And then laying out exactly why he needs to be killed by her. Yeah. So Henry, like, also has a hobby. He's a hobbyist, uh, like, Rube Goldberg machine maker. And so this plot kind of plays out like like one of these, like, well-timed machines that he builds. But even before he gets to those detailed plans, like, there are, like, pages of him uh, guessing what she's going to say. So she'll be like, I can't do that. And she'll turn the page. And be like, yes, you can, Mom. I'm like, oh, how did he know I was going to think that? Like, that happens, like, ten times in a row. It also ends up happening over and over again in, in, oh, in highly right. unbelievable fashion yes, with an yes. uh, with a tape that he's left behind. Um, in which he has somehow anticipated her every her every dialogue cue. response thought um, and uh, right to the end and uh, so so he's explained to her so we're watching her kind of read this book and being like but Henry like surely what about this and she turns a page and it says but what about this and she's like yeah. oh he thought of everything in this part plays out in kind of a funny way it's meant there's like this sort of like thump 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 you know mischief <laughs> music playing and um, and it's and, and so we're like so is this, is this, this could be a murder movie? <laughs> because the first act has been so wholesome and has been so sort of maudlin and cloying and just, just sugary sweet. And then suddenly it's about a murder. It's not about, only is it's it about just murdering about a child rapist. A murder. It's a, it's a murder that involves like a high powered sniper rifle <laughs> where Naomi Watts ends up looking like <laughs> some sort of like splinter cell assassin. <laughs> And granted, the guy lives next door. You do not need a sniper rifle for someone who lives next door. Oh, my God. So, yeah. So he walks her through. um, So he he tells her exactly what gun to get, how to get the gun. And he even coaches her via audio tape on how to learn how to become like an expert marksman. Yes. (laughs) And so it was probably around the time that we cut to like a train montage of Nomi Watts standing in the woods wearing all black like Mm -hmm. she's fucking Carrie Russell and the Americans. (laughs) Um, you know, and she has this like military grade automatic yes. weapon that's it's like propped huge. up on a tripod and she's, you know, like firing shots at targets and he's like, good mom, good. He's um, anticipating how much better she's going to get. I mean, well, she had all that practice with the Xbox. She did. Exactly. So he saw that, he saw the potential in her because mm-hmm. he thought of everything. Because he loved her like and... a husband, son would. <laughs> 
so uh so yeah a sun hubby and so we're seeing <laughs> so we're seeing Naomi Watts gradually become this like ferocious like marksman um and um meanwhile it, Jacob Tremblay is raising himself he really is he's just in the corner of his little grown-up glasses just like well I guess it's cereal for dinner tonight <laughs> Uh, so, um, so then, uh, we, you know, we get past our montage of Naomi Watts learning how to, like, be a ninja assassin. Um, <laughs> from her 11-year-old son. From her 11-year-old son. Yeah, her, from her dead 11-year-old son's audio tape and handwritten red journal. And, uh, and then, you know, he gets to the point where he lays out exactly how to do it, when to do it, lays out, like, a really tight 45-minute timeline. He really, it's funny how closely he anticipated his own death because I feel like mm, the night mm-hmm. that it happens is like the night of this talent show, which they were all preparing for was going to happen like in a few weeks. Yeah. And he, he died right before it. I mean, I, I guess mean, he would have done it I feel it like himself. a slouch. I feel like a slouch, you know, compared to that kid. Uh, you know, I like to think I can plan. I like to think I'm organized. <laughs> I ain't shit compared to Henry. So, uh, yeah, so somehow it's anticipated that there is this talent show. And uh, it's a talent show uh, that uh, sort of really runs the gamut from burped alphabets to abuse dancing. Yeah, uh, that's another interesting part of the movie where, um, you know, Henry had called Child Protective Services again and again, but um, the neighbor's brother because, was yeah. the head of Child Protective Services. Nothing was going to happen. And the neighbor's the police town. commissioner again. So there's, right, it's police so commissioner. Uh, and then, and she he also, and I think the, the part of the movie that we both enjoyed the most is at the beginning when he sees Maddie in class and he sees that she's like upset and maybe has a bruise on her face. Uh, he just gets up from class, runs into the principal's office, slams the door, and he's like, Damn it, Janet! I told you there's abuse going on. Why would you take care of this? Uh, in yes, in very in the principal's he, reaction. I can is, see is, why Naomi Watts loves him. He really <laughs> takes care of business. That kid. He's a street shooter. Uh, but nobody and believes that this is happening. No, until because, well, and it's you know it's also because you know they're like, well, what do we even? The father's a police commissioner. The stepfather's a police commissioner. So, but yeah, so we get to so we have this sort of this this uh, this full on. Uh, you know, sort of a montage in the finale where we have the talent show coinciding with Naomi's sort of farcical attempt to gun down Dean Norris. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's like this real ticking clock uh, situation. <laughs> and, um, and since they cast Maddie Ziegler and did not give her much dialogue, what they instead for sure give her is a mm-hmm. chance to do one of her trademark lyrical <laughs> routines. Um, and on Dance Moms, basically, when she was on that show, week after week, it was Abby Lee giving her a lyrical dance number in which she was meant to play some sort of abused child. So she's had years of practice mm-hmm. at doing the exact dance that she does in this movie. So, you know, it's why she's there. And maybe she was meant to act constipated in every other scene so that you could finally see her pain pour through <laughs> through the majesty of dance. Uh, so anyway, so Naomi Watts is, is in the woods in, in her kid's treehouse. And, right. she, and she has her giant fucking military grade weapon <laughs> and she's in all black and you know and and she looks quite ferocious it really does uh because Naomi watts is i mean like she you know she's a versatile actress and she's played really hard ass roles and she suddenly just looks mm-hmm. like one of her hard ass characters and not the sort of like whimsical upstate new york waitress um <laughs> who up until recently was you know having like you know financial small talk with her 11 year old and letting him you know do their futures and um and so and oh, and one of the other weird things is the way that she gets Dean Norris to oh come God. out of his house and go into the woods so she can kill him is just by whistling. Well, through a walkie-talkie, right? So she's like whistling into a walkie-talkie, and he hears like this whistle, and he just follows the whistle sound into the woods with his gun. 
Who does that? Nobody does that. Who would just be, be like, like, oh, surely that's for me. Right. He doesn't, they don't live, they live on a very full suburban, like it's a full on like house, house next to house, next to house, mm-hmm. full busy suburban street. And he's like, well, surely that must be something I should investigate. And so he leaves his house, goes out into the woods and we're cutting back and forth with like Maddie's abuse dance. And, um, and then we see the principal kind of watching and sort of starting to mist over and maybe start to realize that, you know, like she should have taken these allegations more seriously. And then, um, and then Naomi, while she is struggling with this enormous military weapon, she accidentally kicks over. So, <laughs> so the kid, uh, so Henry has put all these sort of like Pee Wee's Playhouse type um, mouse trap. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was gonna call it mouse trap. Rube Goldberg machines. Yeah, is that what that's called? Yeah, he was like a, a cartoonist, and he drew oh. all those like contraptions where it's like one thing leads yeah. to another, and it. I just call it mouse, mouse trap. trap. Yeah. No. So it's like so it shows. It's it's. <laughs> <laughs> so she kicks. She actually kicks off a mouse trap, and uh, and so she's like standing like whoa, and then you know like we're just like watching the all this like chaos yeah. play out as all these things are knocking into each other, and then one thing leads to another, into another, into another, and then it, and then it climaxes with this huge roll of pictures of Henry and Jacob Tremblay and her like unfolding in front of her face and she's standing there with the enormous gun looking at these pictures <laughs> and um and then she's sort of like what am i doing and in the in her head in her earpiece henry's like mom take the shot take the shot <laughs> and uh and uh you know <laughs> and so and so she does not take the shot um but then um dean norris sees her and so they have this confrontation and she's like, I know what you're doing. It definitely brought me back to Mulholland Drive, uh, <laughs> the whole like scene where they're acting. Um, oh, yeah. She has that like that, 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 no one that, that more like gravelly. Yeah. Kind of like, I know. And she, yeah, mm-hmm. she gets very intense very quickly. And um, and he's like, you don't know shit. And um, and so then he goes back into his house and he starts trying to prepare himself um, so he starts to like call the lawyer to call his brother, you know, this and that. Um, but then um, it turns out that the principal has already reported him. She all it took was one dance. All it took was one abuse dance. Um, and that's why you know Maddie is an excellent lyrical dancer. And mm-hmm. uh, so she does. Uh, so Dean Norris is sitting there realizing his numbers up, and then cop cars start to pull in, and he um, kills himself. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, one of the parts of the red the red notebook uh, was that. Uh, he ha- Henry asked his mom to get a signature from the neighbor so that she would be the legal guardian of the daughter after this assassination went down. Mm-hmm. So because he, he died, um, she goes and is able to live with them. Yes. Um, so Henry's so, done been replaced. Yes, exactly. So his crush is now sleeping in his bed mm-hmm. um, instead of his mom. Although <laughs> um, they could be one the same. <laughs> they um, really, really could have been a strong mother-boy competition. Really could um, have been. Between, uh, between uh, mm-hmm. old Naomi and Henry. But uh, so, you know, the whole thing is very sort of like lovely bones mm-hmm. crossed with just one of those movies about precocious child genius. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Sniper Assassins. And also Sniper Assassins. And the weird thing, another weird thing is Naomi never talks to anyone about this, even, and I of course, for most of you, you're saying why, but her best friend is Sarah Silverman. You could tell her anything. You could tell her anything. The movie has gone out of its way to establish that she is this like total train wreck. Down for like, anything. Down, like the total down girl. Drunk during the day. Exactly. Day drinker. Like just, she's Sarah Silverman. Of course you could be like, could I have run that past. And Sarah Silverman mysteriously vanishes from like the second half of the movie in a way that suggests that like she was there and they cut her out. Mm-hmm. Because like, it makes no sense. It makes no sense at all. If your best friend Sarah Silverman, you tell her 
anything, anything and everything. Ultimately, so did you think that Henry expected his mother to not actually take the shot and that, that he expected her to like stumble into? Did he plan it down so brilliantly that he knew she was going to like set off his mousetrap and that she was going to see those pictures and not take the shot? No, I think at the end of the day, Henry was wrong. I mm. think that she did it by accident. I feel like Jacob Tremblay's character set up that mousetrap because he had been wanting to set one up. Mm. I feel like he did that because he's the more emotional one because he's not... Uh, a, he's more left-brained. He's he's more normal-sized-brained. <laughs> he's less tumor-brained, I guess you would say. Oh, too soon. Um, I mean, wait, didn't we think that like part of Henry's genius was because of that tumor? Did we? I sort of thought that. They don't well, say it, see, but I sort of thought it. That's where I thought the movie was going in the beginning when I was like, oh, he's going to have a surgery. He's going to be a normal boy. And, and we're he's going to be like, and he's going to have to like, the movie's going to be about him adjusting basically to like not having the intelligence he used to have. I wish. That would have been great. <laughs> that's what I, I was like, I'm down to watch that movie. <laughs> but wow, did I not expect the turns <laughs> it was going to take. So at the end of the day, it seems just like it's a really, really extreme parable for remembering that your child is the child. Yeah. Because <laughs> that has, it doesn't happen to people. In case, in case that's of the lesson you need to learn. I don't know. <laughs> to not treat your like, child like your spouse. Maybe when you think that your perfect match is the kid you had. Uh, rethink that. Yeah. Um, wait, isn't there a song like she treats her man as her spouse and she's her child as her spouse? I need to mm. look it up. Um, but, uh, oh, oh, Jenny Lewis. Jenny Lewis, Rabbit Fur Coat. Mm. Uh, when she, and she's singing about her own childhood as a child star and her mother treating mm. her daughter as her spouse. Oh, yeah, so, I can see that. Jenny... That's relatable to everybody. Glad <laughs> <laughs> well, they made a movie about it. So Jenny Lewis quite possibly would be in tears watching this movie. It's her favorite movie. Um, but uh, but for the rest of us, not so much. What? Even though there's even a new Stevie Nicks song they play over there, the end Yeah, there is. Um, yeah, I mean, this movie just really was um, both eventful and confusing, mm. um, weird in not a good way. Um, and I, 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 I didn't like it. <laughs> take it easy there you go take it easy cool uh, my jets a minute yeah it's really you know yeah really whenever Dean Norris kills himself I'm like well I guess that was a freebie <laughs> uh, really just Arrested Development references across the board <laughs> from Mother Boy to that but like it's just sort of like I was trying to explain to Ingu earlier like what what makes this so terrible and a lot of the press coverage a lot of the reviews so far have been like this is spectacularly terrible in a new way so it makes mm. me think of the way people talk about showgirls as being mm-hmm. like, this is bad in a way that nothing else is bad. This is this is bad in like a must-see to appreciate yeah. how bad it is. Wait, found... well, you know, or more recently, The Assignment. Exactly. It was, I first heard of this movie uh, from, a, from a single tweet where it was said that it was more crazy than The Assignment. I was like, oh, we have to see this. Yeah, and it turns but out not... that person must have seen the movie. That person must have seen must the movie. Because you wouldn't know that from the trailer. No. Because like, yeah, Rebecca sent me that tweet when she was looking at all tweets that mentioned The Assignment. And like I do every me. morning at 7 a.m. Just <laughs> <laughs> stars again. You know, our president's not the only one with a morning Twitter ritual. <laughs> And uh, she loves Twitter. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> and so she sent me this tweet, and I was like, What's wrong with the book of Henry? And I looked it up, and I was like, This sounds completely normal. And then we watched it, and it is not normal. No, but it's not quite weird enough to be interesting either. No, I mean, it's well, it's just, it's just so fucking weird. It's like a really bizarre, perverse mashup mm-hmm. of, of, of genres that don't fit together. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, what a like a what a waste of a great cast. I mean, it is, but it is also like genuinely. I've never seen another movie like it. I've never seen a movie no. that is ro- so wrong um, in this particular <laughs> way that the Book of Henry is wrong of just mixing this sort of like 
poignant, plaintive tale of a small town family torn apart by grief. And also, like, a weird murder story. With some pops of humor. With some, with some pops of, with some, yeah, with some just, with some wisecracks. Bobby Moynihan plays the manager yeah. down at the diner. Always good to see him. Uh, God, it was just, what? I feel like the whole second half of the movie, we just yeah. kept looking at each other going like, what? Uh, what until the, all the ashes explode at the end, in which case I was laughing so hard I was crying. <laughs> oh, God, let's say that part. Let's say that part. So, so at the end of this talent show that's going on, Jacob Tremblay comes out when he's doing his routine, and he he dresses a little music. He's dressed as a little magician, so cute. Mm. Um, and he pulls out this giant case, this giant suitcase, because he's so tiny. And he's like, "For my act, I'm going to make my brother appear." And like you can just feel the everyone in the audience is like, "He doesn't know. You can't do that. Oh, he really was the dumb <laughs> one." That's real tough. Um, and he like you know does this little wand thing, and it just ends up being this like explosion of confetti. But I was convinced it was an explosion of ashes. <laughs> Of Henry's ashes that just like cover the audience for how long and, does that go on? Like it five help, minutes. And it doesn't help that like the the confetti is not colored confetti. No, it's the white. Confetti is like silver, so it just looks like gray. <laughs> it just looks like little bits of white and gray. Like, ashes. A, like he's literally just shot his brother's ashes out of a cannon <laughs> on his audience, and everyone stands and spins and twirls like it's the finale then, of Love Actually or some shit. At the end, it's like all in their hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they've got some Henry on you. You know what I mean? Uh, real tough. Real tough. Uh, so guys, I mean, I can't say, I would say, I mean, I still say send it back, send it but back. you know, like it is something that I could see it has a certain appeal just out of morbid curiosity to be like, huh? <laughs> the movie. I mean, if you have like a bunch of time, it might By be worth checking out, but it's it is, not. It good. is. It is a surprise. <laughs> Did not see this one coming. It is rated PG-13 for thematic elements and brief, strong language. Because she says fuck the one time. Mm, she does. And Jacob Tremblay says don't curse in front of me. Yeah. <laughs> Henry's not there to say it. Too cute. Um, That's it. That's it. That is it. Thank I you mean, so much for listening. I don't know how that how that came across describing that movie. I, I feel know. like I feel like I feel like we've had more fun in the past unpacking like Collateral Beauty mm-hmm. and um and um the Catherine Heigl one. Yeah, like this is like yeah, it's like it's a hard movie to describe until you're actually watching until you're literally observing the transition from like you know her transition from just like upstate free spirit mama to like black clad assassin <laughs> until you actually watch that happen. <laughs> And with your own eyes, it's hard to appreciate just how ludicrous it feels when you're watching it. I mean, if you've decided to take the plunge and check out the movie and have some thoughts to share, you can We'd definitely find us. Them. Jason's on Twitter at Excess Faggage. I'm at Fight Balance. And um, I think we're done. Yeah. I think we've said all that we don't know how to say about that movie. <laughs> um, thank you so much for listening. Um, subscribe if you'd like. And uh, see you later. Bye. Bye-bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end, that's amazing. There There goes goes the the binge. binge.